Let's pray, and we'll dig in. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to talk about what it means to be the man, the men, and the man you want us to be. And God, I pray you just guide this time. I pray it becomes amazingly clear. I I pray that as we look at this, that we can begin to kind of analyze, Lord, where each of us are at in this moment and and not ever get down on ourselves, but look with vision about who you want us to be, who you've created us to be, and the kind of life you want us to live. Help us to do that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, Robert Lewis, who actually is the, the founder of the men's fraternity, Uh, Robert Lewis talked about something that I thought you'd want to hear about, and that is when Jackie Sherrill was the coach of Auburn University, they were beat by Louisiana Tech in a horrible way. It was a game they should have won, but Louisiana Tech came in, fired up, and just destroyed them, and they got beat mainly on the line. I mean, they just got outbeat. They got manhandled, and, and it just came down to who was tougher, and they lost the toughness battle. So on Monday, they go into the team meeting, and Jackie Sherrill is just beside himself still. He still can't believe they've lost this game. He's embarrassed, and he walks in, and he says, men, we got beat. Guys, they were tougher than us, and I think we're going to have to toughen up, and so this is it. It's toughen up time, and he walks over. He had kind of this duffel bag, and he reaches in, and he pulls out an alligator that's about this long, and he's holding it, and its legs are going. He said, it's time to tough it up. And he drops his drawers, hits the alligator a couple times, and has the alligator bite him in the bottom. And it bites on hard. And he lets go, and the alligator's hanging there, and he's walking along with this. He goes, this is tough. This is tough. And then he reaches over, and he pokes the alligator in the eye, and it lets go, and he holds it. He goes, who's next? And the room is silent. He goes, who's next? Finally, one guy stands up and goes, okay, coach, I'll go. If you promise not to poke me in the eye. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you're laughing because I've been laughing about that one ever since I heard it. Uh, we saw last week that manhood is in a state of confusion. Uh, what it really means to be a man is not something easily grasped by the average person. There's no compelling vision that calls us to man up, to, to rise to that occasion. Uh, and then we made an initial look at what real manhood is, and tonight we're really going to begin to develop that. But the thing is, you need to know, and I need to know, that we're very often defined in many different ways. There's lots of personality tests that help define us. There's the Myers-Briggs that asks if you're an ESTJ or an ISFP or any combination within that, and that helps define who we are. Uh, There's uh, strength finder tests that are really popular right now. Uh, There's a test about some kind of animal thing, and I I don't know about that one. And and then there's all sorts of tests out there. And and so we get defined by that a lot. We, We get defined by our profession. Uh, we get defined by our relational status. Are you a father? Are you a son? Are you a brother? Are you a husband? Are you a friend? And, and that helps define us. But what we need, and this is where we're going tonight, and I hope you grab this. I hope this excites you. I really do. We need a balanced view of manhood, and that's where we're going tonight. The key word there is balance. We've got to have a balance to this. It, it's a lot of things working together, and when they're working in the right way, we find ourselves beginning to understand what a man is and the man we should be, and we find a way to rise up to that level and grab hold of it. So where we're at in this moment tonight is to understand that manhood has four faces to it. Uh, manhood has four faces to it. And uh, I want you to, if you have your books, to look at this and, and we'll just start digging right in. The first face of a man, and we all need to have this. Not, and again, you want all four. You don't want to have, and I want to say this again. It's not about having one or the other. It's not having one stronger than the other. It's all four in balance being a part of who we are. And, and, and the first face of a man is the face of a king. The face of a king. That's the idea of nobility. It's the idea of conviction. Uh, It's the idea that I love what is right, and I call others to a love of right, uh, and a character over comfort mentality. It's the person who can stand before others, and having that kind of a face means that other people understand that there's a way to go, a right way to act, a cause to be a part of, and that we move in that. This face is shown when we are standing in front of temptation, and we say no, because we're too noble for it. I don't know if you heard the story, and I don't know how accurate it is, but supposedly when uh, the French Revolution occurred and and King, uh, I think it was Louis and Marie Antoinette were taken and beheaded, that they had a son. 
And the thought was if they behead and kill the son, he might go to heaven because he was under the age of accountability. And the desire was that he go to hell. And so they took this young boy and they put him in the care of a prostitute whose only job was to so pollute and pervert him that when he turned 13 and they killed him, he would have to go to hell. And, and so he was eight years old at the time, and she began to try to get him to do things that he shouldn't do, and get him to cuss, and get him to do all this, and finally, he just wouldn't bend. He just hung on to the right attitudes, the right actions. He just refused, at eight years old, he stood strong. And finally, one day, she grabbed him, and she screamed at him, trying to get him to curse, trying to get him to act in a way different, and he stood and looked at her, and he said, I don't know who you think I am, but I am the future king of France, and I won't act any other way. And uh, supposedly he just stayed with it. You know, the reality is, is he saw what it meant to be a king. A king would not let go. A king would not give in. A king doesn't cave uh, to the times. It's, it's being the leader we're meant to be. This is shown when temptation's in front of us and see, we say no. It's shown when you're on a trip and no one sees you and no one's looking and you still do the right thing. And uh, a lot is said about who are you when no one's looking. And you say, you know what? If I have the face of a king, it doesn't matter. First of all, I know God is always there. Second of all, I believe in the cause of right. And so what happens is this face is, and I, you're going to notice how this repeats through all of them. This face is a face reflecting righteous energy. Righteous energy is the words that would fill in there. And it's the idea that there's a righteousness to us, and it's energetic, and it's passionate, and we stand for it, and we move forward. David, when he committed sin with Bathsheba and tried to cover it up, was not showing the face of a king. But Nathan, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7, was showing the face of a king when he comes in and he calls out the incredible horror of what this kind of a sin would mean. And then when he catches David in the midst of it and grabs his emotions and David goes, whoever did this surely deserves to die. And he looks at him and says, you're the man. That was the face of a king. He called out righteousness in a very intense situation, and he stood in the midst of it. And you see that reflected by righteous energy that takes a stand. You see this uh, face is characterized by, and, and, and notice in your book, the first one is it's characterized by strong convictions. Strong convictions. When you're around a person with strong convictions, you begin to see real manhood. Um, I have a friend, and I want to be careful how I share this. I have permission, but I need to still be sensitive to it. But I have a friend who uh, is a, a pastor. He's an amazing preacher, an amazing leader. And uh, he married a woman, and as years went on, something snapped in her. And I want to be honest. If she walked in here today, I'd have been about 10 minutes, you'd think, I don't want to be in here. I, I don't want to be in her presence. I, I mean, not trying to be mean. It's just accurate to the, the, what happened. Well, in the midst of her just being very difficult to be around, she also started committing and having affairs. He's the pastor of a church, and she's out having affairs. And so what happened is the elders called him in the room, and they said, you know what? I know that divorce is wrong, but we want to tell you, we'll back you. You divorce her, and, and you still can be our pastor because uh, we, we think you have the right. And he looked at those men, and he said, no. He said, you know what? I made a vow to God when I married her for better or for worse. And I made a vow to have unconditional love. And if I walked out on her now, my love would be conditional and I would break a vow to God and I'll never do it. And he didn't. Now, today their marriage is better. Not great, but better. And you might say, whoa, well, wait a minute. You know, he had all the, let me tell you what, where I'm going with this. If I were to ask you, is he a man? A man's man. Guess what? His sons say so. His two boys told me this. They said, we have never seen anybody in our lives more Christ-like than our father. And they said, when we read about Jesus and we look at him, we see the exact same person. He doesn't buckle. When he gives his word, he means it. When he stands for truth, he stands. And he doesn't do it just when it's easy. And his kids told me, both of whom are walking with the Lord in amazing ways today, we've watched when it wasn't easy and the doors are closed, and he always acted in godly ways. That's the face of conviction. It's the face of a king. And you know what? I want to say this. When someone has conviction in our society, that's not very welcomed. You got to get me on this. I'm not saying if you walk out there and you're a person of conviction, you're going to get a lot of cheers. No, we're a nation of tolerance. <laughs> and when you stand with conviction, people are like, what? 
It just seems too narrow. Now, I'm not saying we should be narrow, and I'm not saying we should be legalistic, but I'm telling you, when we stand and say right is right and wrong is wrong, that's not really something really accepted, and, and we need to be people of conviction. I have another friend. He's the CEO of a very large, very successful company. Uh, he took them at a time when they were in trouble and they were about to fall apart and they brought him in to kind of rescue them and he came in and he began to see a lot of immorality and, and, and dishonesty and a lack of character and so he just started firing people and which was part of his job. And then he went out and hired people of integrity, people that would keep their word. Now, they're not a Christian company, you need to know this, but this man's a strong, strong Christian and he, but he's a man of conviction and he says this, he says this to me all the time. I want to stand for Christ even if it costs me my job. Now, now you need to know, I'm not telling you to be unwise, so make sure you get balanced to what I'm saying because my friend is amazingly wise in what he does. But you need to know this, that he has found time after time ways to stand and share about Christ in his office. He brings the staff together and he'll say, oh, I heard the greatest story at church and he'll tell the story I told and then he'll give the reason behind it and everyone's laughing and cheering. They don't even realize he's just witness to them like crazy. He lets it be known that he begins every day in the office with 30 minutes of prayer and Bible study. He said, I can't lead this company without it. And are you ready for this? Whenever it comes time for his high level employee reviews of his executive team, he brings them in. The first year, he, I just love he did this. He brings them in the room, goes through their review, and then at the very end, he says, you know what? I'm done. The company time's over. If you want to leave, go ahead and leave. And they go, okay. And he goes, but I want to tell you something. As a friend, I'm, I think you matter to me more than you know, and there's something I would love to tell you, but you don't have to stay and hear it. And, and so the first year, you already know everybody stayed, Right? And so he said, well, let me tell you, what I really care about is not if you're a success in this company. I care about, are you living the life you were meant to live, and are you going to go to heaven when you die? And he said, the only way to heaven, and he shares about Jesus. Now, he's given him a, a way to leave, but obviously, there's some little tenuousness there because he's the CEO saying that, and you already know what that means. And, and so what happened, the board heard about it, and they're like, I don't think you can do this. And he said, I don't think I cannot do this. And so they said, okay, just be careful. And so what happened is the next year employee reviews came around and he gets done and, and the person's sitting there and he goes, okay, we're done. They go, no, 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 let's talk about what we talked about last year. And, and they're begging for it. Well, the reason I'm coming to this is his company and another company was on the verge of merger. And he's sitting in front of the other board with millions and millions of dollars on the line and whether he would be the CEO of both companies. Not, hadn't been decided yet. And, and the board of the other company, they're doing a, a talk through on what it means. They've gone through this incredible process. And they look at my friend and they say to him, one of the, one of the women who's on the board looks at him and says, you know, I, I hear you're a, a very religious man. And we need to know that if we merge, you're not going to bring your religion to work anymore. And now here it is. He's ready to walk away from his job at this point. And he looks at her and says, well, I want to say something about that. First of all, I, I hope I'm always fair, and I hope everybody would tell you I'm always fair, no matter whether someone agrees with me or not. But I want to tell you something else. The reason you want to merge with our company is because I'm a religious man, and because I've brought religious values, and because we've brought integrity. And I want to tell you what it does. Because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and he used that word on purpose, not God, Jesus Christ. He said, I've stood in the lobby sometimes and looked at a customer and I stop what I'm doing because I care more about that customer than I care about business. And that's what's created success. And if that attitude amongst all our employees, I think you'd find us doing something that mattered. He said, not too long ago, I sat with a woman whose daughter had died and I got to talk with her and I offered an invitation if she wanted me to, to pray together. And she did it. And I wasn't the CEO of a company. I was a follower of Christ obeying his command. And that's the kind of man that would lead if you asked me to do this. And she got, all of a sudden, she starts crying. And she said, that's, that's what I needed when I lost my daughter. And, and everyone's looking around, and he said, you know, if you want me to go, I'll go. And they're like, no, no, no. She was the only one asking that. And, uh, and they, they, they moved. Now, you know, could it have cost him his job? Here's the answer, yes. Now, I'm not talking about being unwise. We've got to be wise in how we do this. But I am telling you this, that my friend doesn't care if it costs him his job because that's what conviction means.
A man of conviction, when he says to his wife, I'm going to stay married to you for life, does. A man of conviction, when he says yes to doing a job, he shows up on time and doesn't leave early, and he gives a full day's work. A man of conviction, when he gives his word on something, he follows through even if it costs him. And you know what? That's where conviction comes in. And it's conviction that carries us through times of discomfort. And that's when you see a real man. Those are the people that are heroes. The person who caves. The person who gives in. The person who's wishy-washy. Let's just get honest. Nobody celebrates a life like that. And it may cost us for a period of time to be a person of conviction. But a man who's a king is a man of strong conviction. A man who's a king is a man of courageous moral choices. That's the next line on there if you want to write then. They are a person of courageous moral choice. In other words, they, they're going to stand and do the right thing no matter what. They're going to say yes no matter what. Uh, I, I'm going to give an example that may not be popular. You ready? But I think that Bill Hybels is a man's man. He's the leader of Willow Creek Community Church. He's taken stands at times that aren't always popular. And when President Clinton... Uh, was exposed for having his affair with Monica Lewinsky and was in the midst of impeachment, Cl President Clinton invited some pastors, Jack Hayford and Tony Campola and Bill Hybels and a couple other pastors to come and meet with him. And uh, according to not only Hybels, but actually more from Jack Hayford's was told that what they said, you know, he, Clinton said, look, I'm sorry. I can't believe I've done this. I've let the country down. What should I do? And, and, and they said, well, you know, we're not here to tell you your political steps, but we are here to tell you that you need to get right with God. And that must be why you invited us. And they said, well, you know, God forgives, God forgives, God forgives. And I guess it got around to Clinton or Hybels. And Bill Hybels looked at him and said, well, you know, God forgives. But let me tell you this, not if you don't repent. Mr. President, are you ready to repent? And he's in the, sitting there, you know, with the President of the United States calling him on it. He says, what matters is who are you going to be spiritually before God? This will define you. Not with men. Men don't matter. It's who defines you with God. Well, according to what was told is that President Clinton said, I do want to repent. Now, you may not agree with that he did, but that's what he said in the meeting. Well, then Bill Heibel said, if you really want to repent, I'm having a pastor's conference. Why don't you come and stand before them? And he said Yes. So it was announced that at Willow Creek Community Church at a major pastor's conference that President Clinton was coming to speak. Now let me ask you, what do you think happened when it was announced that President Clinton was coming? Do you think they got all this fan mail and all these people calling saying, congratulations, Bill Hybels, we're so... No, it caused a furor. Emails written, people ready to pick it, Christians saying, what kind of a Christian are you to let a man like that in your church? Don't you know what he did? Uh, eat cone calls, everything happening. I mean, the church was being blitzed in horrible ways. Now, I want to say this by other Christians. By other Christians. So Bill Hybels announced, I'm going to give my response to this because it was a firestorm. And I'll never forget it because you can still go online and hear it. He stood up and he said, I want to tell you, one of the core values of this church is that restoration and redemption is always the goal. And I don't care if it's popular. We're going to do everything we can to restore that man. And when you ask, what are we doing letting a man like that in our church? He goes, the church was made for men like that. And if you don't like it, tough. And I was like, yeah, that's a man of conviction. And I want to tell you, even if you don't agree with his choice, by the way, I do. But you know what? That's conviction. Conviction says we don't buckle. We don't put it out there for a popularity contest. That's not how we act. And the face of a king, a man who's a king, they don't bow. And you and I are called to have convictions. And you ought to know what your convictions are. And uh, we need to have that kind of attitude. And courageous moral choice is a part of it. The next thing a person does who's a king is they have a servant spirit. They have a servant spirit. You can see it all the time because they're ready to jump in and help others. They don't stand aloof and stand apart. They're ready to jump in and make a difference with everybody else. And, and that's the kind of attitude we need to have because that's the right thing to do. Uh, the next kind of uh, thing that's on the fill in blank is they're a person of righteous leadership. Not just leadership, but righteous leadership. Now, again, you may not agree with my choice on this, but I got to tell you who I think was a man like that was Ross Perot. You may not agree with everything about Ross Perot, but the one thing, especially when he first started EDS, he was known for, was being there for his employees. 
So uh, what happened is a, an employee of theirs, wife had a brain tumor and the hospital wasn't treating correctly and Ross Perot got wind of it. And so he had her flown on a private jet to New York City, admitted into one of the nicest hospitals around with the best surgeons ever and it ended up saving her life. And people said this was something Perot did for every single person he possibly could in his company. You remember probably that when Iran took the embassy hostage and the great, uh, the, 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 the incredible tension that arose from that during President Carter's, we couldn't get our, our embassy people out. Well, I don't know if you're aware of it, but there's a book written about it called On Wings of Eagles. Ross Perot also had a company there, and his employees were taken hostage. And he said, I want my employees out. Well, we were trying to negotiate to get our embassy people out. And remember, we had a failed military try at that. But I don't know if you remember, Ross Perot hired a mercenary team, and he went and got his people out. And you know what? They said, we're going to arrest you for this. You can't hire mercenaries. He said, then arrest me. But those are my people and I'm responsible. And he ended up rescuing them. He, had, he was righteously leading. Now, whether he did everything else right or not, I don't know. But I'll tell you this, that, that the word is that this was a man who stood behind his employees. This is a man who rose up. Uh, uh, that's the kind of man he was. And they show righteous leadership. Lieutenant Colonel Harold Moore, according to the men who were interviewed that served under him in the Vietnam War, said that was a leader and a righteous leader. Some of you saw the movie or read the book that was based on him called We Were Once Soldiers and We Were Young. And it was the first major battle of Vietnam and they went in and they had no idea that they were about to be overwhelmed. And when those helicopters landed and those men jumped out, they thought they were just going on a, 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 a they knew that it would be a battle, but they didn't expect it to literally be a slaughter. And what he had promised his men, he said, I will never leave without any of you. I will not get on that, uh, that helicopter unless you're on it with me. And so Lieutenant Colonel Moore landed, they went in, they were overwhelmed, they were being slaughtered, days and days of fighting. People kept demanding that he leave. They thought the worst thing that could happen to this country is if a high-leveled officer was taken in one of the first firefights that happened. He said, I won't leave my men. A group were cut off. He said, we can't leave them behind. He ordered heroic tactics to be taken, which he was a part of guiding and directing until they finally got that group back. They got everybody back. They loaded them on the helicopters. They kept saying, you have to get on, you have to get on. He said, I'll be the last man to step on that helicopter. And he was. And you know what? The men look back today and they say, that's the kind of leader we want to follow. Well, I want to tell you, inside of you, inside of you, God has ordained for you to be that kind of person. He calls for you to rise up and be that way. You may not be in a war, you may not be in a battle, but you need to have that kind of mentality in you. And Jesus said, he who is faithful in little is faithful in much. And so if you're that kind of man to your wife, that kind of man to your kids, that kind of man as an employee, when the time of testing comes, you'll be that man in the time of testing. That face is seen in scripture in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 18, where it says, but the path of the righteous is like the dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full of day. And it grows stronger through life. In other words, when you live that kind of life, you keep shining and keep shining. And that's what God wants you to do. And you go brighter over the years. And when I get around older men that are men like this, man, it thrills my heart to be around them. And I hope they're older men you can grab hold of and get around like that because it blows you away to be around men like that, that they grow brighter and brighter because of the kind of men they are. Proverbs 20 verse 7 says, A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. You know, if you're a dad, let me tell you, the greatest gift you can give your kids is to be a man of integrity, to be a righteous man to walk that way. And they'll look at you and say, that's the kind of person I can respect and admire. That's what God wants us to do. So that's face number one, the face of a king. Face number two is the face of a warrior. And I want to have you turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 23. Uh, when you talk about warriors, you've got to go to David's mighty men. And I want to hustle through this, but I don't want you to miss it. Uh, the face number two is the face of the warrior. He's the one who can take the hill and win. He's the one who's ready to fight the battle. Psalm 144 verse 1, which is written to all believers, says this, Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. While we always want to be peaceful and peace-seeking people, the Bible says clearly there is a time to fight. There's a time to stand. And the warrior side of us is made to stand and do that. And we need to be people who can use those words. I, I think this will reverberate with you. When I say the words, let's roll, do you know what I'm talking about? Because those were men. Weren't they? 
And I think that we want to be the kind of guys, and I, I hope I would be, I hope you would be, if we're on a plane and someone tries to take it, we take a stand. And when we hear they're going to try to crash it into a building, we say we'd rather kill them and die than let that happen. Now, I want to tell you, there is a time to fight. There is a time to rise up. And the warrior side of us knows how to do it and do it in balance. And God wants us to be that way. We see that in, in lots of ways. I think we saw it, by the way, and whether again you've wrestled through this or not, but I think we saw it in Tiger Woods when on a knee that was so debilitating, he could barely walk. He golfed 18 holes in one. And as he swung that club and winced, he wasn't going down. Some people question the wisdom of what he did. But I got to say, man, that was an amazing moment when he said, I'm going to win this contest and I'll do it on a hurt leg and I won't quit. And by the way, it blows me away that on a, on a wrecked knee, he golfs better than I do on any kind of day. And, uh, and, and that's what you see in that. I think we saw it in Saving Private Ryan, one of the great man films of all time. When, when, when you know, he gave his life and and, and, and he went out and, and led in kind of a victorious, amazing way. I think we saw it, if you're thinking of movies, will you agree, Braveheart? You know, William Wallace and freedom. And, and you know what? There is that time. And that ought to grab us. It ought to make us excited. I think we saw it in King David. When, when David was standing there and Goliath is taunting the armies of the living God. And they're running and hiding. And David, a young guy, says, who would dare taunt the armies of the living God? And his brother says, shut up, basically. And he looks and says, is there not a cause? And when the word gets to King Saul, by the way, King Saul, the tallest, strongest man of the day, who should have fought Goliath? He was head and shoulders above everybody else. He's, where is he? He's in his tent. He's not on the battle line. He's in his tent. And this, this young guy is saying, I'll fight him. And King Saul goes, you can't fight him. You're but a youth. And he's been a warrior since he was a youth. And you remember David's answer? He said, when I was guarding the sheep and a lion came and grabbed my sheep, I chased the lion down and I grabbed it by the beard and I killed it. And, and when a bear came, I chased the bear down and I killed it. And he said, the God who delivered me then will deliver me today. That's incredible. I mean, I don't know about you. Do you catch the part he grabbed the lion by the beard? I mean, I could see stabbing him at a distance, throwing rocks at him. That's a worrier. Look over at 2 Samuel 23 and look what it says here. We're going to go down to verse 20. This is David's mighty men, but look at who Benaniah is. I've been reading a book about this and it's grabbed my heart and see if it grabs yours. 2 Samuel 23 verse 20. Then Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada the son of a valiant man of Kabzal, who had done many mighty deeds. He killed the two sons of Ariel of Moab. Now, it seems to say to me, and you'd wrestle this through, that he means he fought the two great warriors at the same time. He took them on together. It, notice the next line. He also went down and killed a lion in the middle of a pit on a snowy day. Now, now think about that. We're not talking about he went down there with a gun. He didn't have a rifle. Now, he probably had a sword, a spear, or something, but he doesn't even throw it at the lion in the pit. He goes down in the pit and takes the lion on. Lion's 500, 700, 800 pounds. Uh, it has teeth that if it grabbed his leg in one crutch, it could crush it. And, and I don't know if you've ever been close to a lion, but I got to tell you, when we had that lion back there and it's dark and we're saying, be careful not to walk and put your hand in the wrong place. I mean, when you stood next to that lion, it was incredible, and he's in a cage. Now, this is a lion in a pit on a snowy day, and he goes down there and he beats him. Now, most of us, let's get honest, lion, run, right? Not run at him, not run to him. As a matter of fact, uh, Mark Batterson asked the question, how the lion get in the pit? And whether he's right or not, he thinks Ben and I was chasing the lion. You know, this is an amazing man. Look what it goes on to say in, in, in verse 21. He killed an Egyptian, an impressive man, now, the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but he went down to him with a club and he snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Now, now here's my point. Don't miss it. Why do you think this is in here? I, I'm going to say something. And I, I, as we've been getting ready for these studies, I, I'm going to say something. And, and I don't know how you're going to react to it. I don't, I, I, I don't care. <laughs> but, uh, but let me say this. I think I'm more impressed than ever that the Bible's a man's book. I really do. I think it's written for men to be men. I, I think it really is. I think it's really aimed at us. Uh, I, by the way, when I was a youth pastor, I always tell other youth pastors, you want to have an amazing youth ministry, go for guys. 
I really believe in a church, we want to have an amazing church, we go for men. And you know what? Is when men rise up, something happens. It really is true. It really is. You think about it. If we have a church filled with women, do, women want to, do men want to come? The answer is what? No. But if we have a church filled with men, do women want to come? Yeah. When we go for men, this is a man's book. And when we rise up and the men we're supposed to be, it causes a spiritual earthquake to occur. And that's one reason God put this in here. He's made you to be a warrior. He's made you to rise up. He's made you to be that kind of a person. Now, now, grab hold of this. It says that this is a face reflecting conquering energy. It's you were made to conquer. You were made to stand in front of an obstacle and to overcome it and to take it. That's who God made you to be. This is the face characterized by initiative initiative. Now don't miss that. It's the kind of person who looks for what to do and they look for where to jump in and they can't wait to make that moment. We see this in this kind of person and they they make it happen. I got to really quickly tell you, I really believe that I was raised by a man. My dad was a man's man and I'll never forget when he first came to Corona and he got on the street crew of Corona and and he, he always looked for ways he could learn and looked for ways he could help and he always showed an amazing amount of initiative and I don't know if you remember in the 70s, a huge, some of you you might remember a huge storm hit Corona and it knocked out power on this whole, well, no, this was Orange Groves, uh, down here in this area of town and, and they weren't able to get it back on and the phone rings and we're sitting in a, uh, 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 our house and my dad gets the call, this raging storm, rain coming and they asked my dad, would he go out and work on the electrical lines? Now you need to know that wasn't his job. That wasn't, it's dangerous. We're not talking. My dad, man, he couldn't wait. He's throwing his stuff on. And I watch him literally, I'm, I'm a young guy, watching my dad go out into the storm to handle electricity with lightning flashing. And you know what I was? I was proud. Over and over, my, my dad made me proud. He, he was not afraid of a challenge. And he made initiative to find him. He hunted him down. And and that's what we need to do. We need to be people of initiative. When you go to work, you see it in little ways because you're looking for ways to jump in. You're looking for things to do. You're not just sitting back. It's a zone in protecting. You want to protect. I really think this warrior side is shown here when all of a sudden we look out there and we see some of the women trying to get some things, you know, up to the other and you rush over and go, let me carry that for you. It might not seem like a big deal, but that's the idea of the warrior. He doesn't just stand back. He jumps in, and he faces the challenge and shows initiative. It's shown by initiative. It's shown by protecting. You ready for this? It's shown by providing. It's shown by providing. That we're the provider, and we see that as a big part of who we are. It's shown by preserving. It's shown by preserving. And then the last thing, it's shown by fighting. Now, again, you know, I don't want to overemphasize this. We're people of love. We're people of care. We're people who turn the other cheek. But when that time comes that we're to take a stand, a man knows when to do it, and he doesn't back down. And it might need to happen at times. I'll uh, never forget one of my favorite man moments as I was thinking of this. General Schwarzkopf. Do you remember Schwarzkopf? I hope you do. Big old guy. And uh, uh, he had been in Vietnam. He ended up leading our forces in Desert Storm. I mean, this guy was, everybody raved about who he was. Matter of fact, they kept saying when you retire, run for president, he didn't want to. But I'll never forget this moment. He's on Barbara Walters after he's been declared a hero time and time again. And our men came home from Desert Storm and our country did the right thing and received them with honor and and we should support our troops as hopefully we're doing today. But Barbara Walters is is interviewing him and and she said this. She says, well, are you... Are you actually glad about how the country has received our men? And he said, yes, I am. She said, well, you were in the Vietnam War and you didn't get that reception. And he said, no, and I think that was wrong. And she said, so when you came back and people spit on you, now she's getting ready to ask her question about, and all of a sudden he goes, nobody spit on me. And I'll ne- if you watch it, if you ever can see it, she's like, what? And he leans up and he looks her in the eye and he said, nobody ever spit on me. And she leans back in her chair and you can tell they did an edit cut because he scared her to death. <laughs> nobody would spit on Schwarzkopf, right? Anybody ever see him? You think that would happen? And you know what is, is there's a time that a man takes a stand. There really is a time for that. And again, I'm not wanting you to get out of balance here, but you were made for this. And it doesn't have to do with height. It doesn't have to do with physical stature. It has to do with conviction and morality and just saying, you know what, we take stands at time and we don't veer from that and there is a time to do it. 
This face is seen in scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, where it says, But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Notice this, fight the good fight. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you were made at the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So there's a warrior side of us that's got to rise up. Now, face number three, there's a lover side of us that has to rise up. Uh, uh, this is shown because we can open up and we can share our feelings honestly. This face is reflected in romantic energy. If you have the fill-in, that's it. It's reflected in romantic energy. Now, now uh, uh, a balanced man has a passionate romantic side to him. And he has deep feelings this way and he's not afraid of them. And he's able to let them out. And we need to have that attitude. Uh, you know what is, is I really, uh, I, I don't think it's in my personality to be incredibly romantic. So what I do is I have on my things to do list because I'm a list guy. I, ha I put on the every other week, I write be romantic to Pam. Now, you know what? That might not seem very romantic. But I got to tell you what happened. She found my list and she saw it on there. And her first thought was, oh, she thought that was so cool. Then she saw it checked off. She thought, what did he do? And uh, so I, I don't always hit on this, okay? Because when I told her, she's like, no, nah, that wasn't it. You better go and check that thing. But years ago, we were coming up to our anniversary. And uh, Pam is a giver. Oh, she's a giver. And if you ever see her, she has her camera in hand. She's always done that. She shoots pictures of people and tries to make special moments for them. And, and so I thought, you know what? She's always doing slideshows and pictures of everybody else for our anniversary. That would be meaningful to her. This is back before computers to work the way they did. So what happened is I literally uh, set my alarm for four in the morning. It would go off and, she, and, and I'd wake up and hit it real quick. She'd go, well, I'd go back to sleep. And she'd fall back asleep. And I'd go out in the garage and I would dig through the scrapbook she had. And I was out there figuring out which ones to get so she wouldn't know. And I'm not kidding. This was literally a difficult, a, a strategic decision to make. But, but I'm sneaking these into a photo lab place in Covina and they're shooting pictures of it. I'm getting her back without knowing. And and, and I'm getting people to take her away so I can sneak back and get them again because she would know where her scrapbooks were. And, and so what happened is I got all that done. Then some of you remember the days of, like, the, the, what would happen is, is we had it on a computer screen, but you had to actually hit the button to have the pictures change. I mean, you couldn't program it to do that back then. So I got our song. Our, our song when we were dating is, You Make Me Feel Brand New by the Stylistics, okay? And, uh, and so I got that song, and I'm practicing hitting the button right on time, and I want it to be that moment. And so what happens, our anniversary is on a church night, and I said to Pam, I said, hey, you know, uh, it, it's pretty amazing church night. I could take it off, but if you don't mind, let's go out the next night. And she's like, no, 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 it's okay, I understand, because again, Pam's in a giving woman. And she comes into church with no clue. And I get up and I'm preaching, and I talk about the amazing love of God and what God gives to us. And I stopped and I said, but you know what God gives us? One of the greatest gifts of all, it says, is God gives a wife, a wife's a gift, and I've been given the most amazing wife ever. And Pam, I want you to know that, and, and we always see you shooting pictures of every Wilson. Tonight, this is for you. And so the music starts to play. You make me feel so brand new. And she's looking, and I have to run back to the back of the church because I'm the only one who can hit the buttons on time. And, and, and it comes up, and I start showing pictures of her young and pictures of her because I'd gone out and seen her mom and dad and gotten pictures she didn't know I had. And, and they're coming up and coming up and coming up. And, and I, I can hear her crying. And other people are hugging on her, and they're cheering for her, and, and they're... And when I got up, I honored my wife, and, and I got up, and I said, you know what, tonight, it, I, it isn't okay that we're, we're going to take time for you. I wanted to honor you here, because we all love you, and everybody cheered. I said, but let's go. We're going away. And, and I said, I've got someone to watch the kids. And I grabbed her, and we walk out of there, and the, she looked at me and said this. She goes, oh, you did this for me, and I'm not even dead. <laughs> you know? and, uh, and that's what a romantic man does. There's a romantic side of us, and, and we need to let that out. We need to let it happen. I don't know if you guys have seen my assistant, Talia. She's gorgeous. If you see Talia, she's beautiful. She's gorgeous. When she was in high school, all these guys were after her. I mean, tons of guys. She was just sought after. In the church, she was sought after. But Ricky's here tonight. Ricky's her husband. And I remember when Ricky started pursuing Talia, like he was getting through to her when she was literally saying no to all these other guys. So I, I asked her one day, I said, okay, what is it about Ricky? And she said, you know what? And here's what she said. She goes, he gets me. Now, romantic is getting her. Romance is getting her. It's not, oh, I buy her flowers if she doesn't like flowers. 
It's not, not, oh, I get you candy. No, it's doing that thing because you've been listening and in tune. And so she would get up in the morning. Talia would walk out to her car, and on her car would be this really romantic note with a plate of strawberries and, and other things to dip into it because that's what she would love. And, he, and she, she said, I can't resist him. Ricky, good job. And, uh, and, and you know what? Is There's got to be a romantic side of you. And, and, and of course, you need to have the right person to have that with. But no matter what, it, it comes out in lots of ways. The lover side comes out in lots of ways. The face is characterized by, catch this, by number one, tenderness. By tenderness, the fact that you can hold that child and it's an amazing thing. I, I didn't see him out here. I'm hoping he's here tonight, but, but I'll go ahead and say it anyway. We have a man in our church, Robert, is, 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 I forgot Robert's last name. Uh, if you see Robert, he's a head guy. He's big, he's tough, he's strong. But do you know where he dedicates his ministry in our church? In the two-year-olds. If you go up on Sunday morning to the two-year-olds, there's Mr. Roberts' class. His wife helps him, but it's his class. And do you know what is wild is the kids stand in line. And when they go, oh, no, we'll put you in here. They're all like, no, we're waiting for Mr. Robert. And when you watch that man love those kids, it's awesome. That's the lover side that comes out. Uh, the lover side comes out with sensitivity. That's the next line. The lover side comes out with sacrificial care. The lover side comes out with emotional openness and not being afraid to share our emotions. The lover side comes out with physical affection and not holding off from that. And we need to have that imbalance, but we need to be willing to reach out and touch and know those moments to do it. And, and, and the strongest person can learn to be gentle in the right situation. That's the lover side. The face is seen in Scripture in Ephesians 5.25 when it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And that's what we need to do. The fourth face, you ready? The fourth face is the face of a friend. Now, I'm going to say this, but, but I don't want to overemphasize it. I do think it's true that too many men don't have friends. I think it's not as bad as some people think. And you need to have the right definition of friendship and the way that means something to you. But let's say this. Everybody needs to be in a great person in a relational settings, and we need to have friends uh, we need to have times to sit with friends and talk with friends. We're hoping that this, this time together gives birth to friendships. Some years ago, I wrote on my list. I said, you know what? I don't have the quality of friendships I want to have. And so I became very intentional and strategic about my friendships. And you know what? I thought it's so important to God that I have great friendships. He made me for this, that I need to start being the friend I should be. But I need to put time in developing friendships. And to this day, I am so thrilled that I did that. David had Jonathan. In 1 Samuel 20, verse 17, it says, Jonathan made David a vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life. You know, that's that kind of, David was that amazing man, that man after God's own heart, and he had that kind of friendship with Jonathan where they said, I love you more than my own life. We need those kind of people, those men in our life that we have friendships like that with. This face is reflecting and connecting energy. If you're writing down... It's connecting energy, it's, it's time, it's sharing, it's getting deep. And this space is characterized by loyalty, by accountability, by challenge, and by fun. You gotta have the fun side too. And you and I need to, to make sure that that's about who we are. We have people who can look us in the eye and tell us if we're right or tell us if we're wrong. We have people who challenge us to be better. My, my friend who's the CEO, every time I get with him, he's gonna challenge me. He actually, because he likes to talk this way, he says, okay, how you doing on your core values for your life? Which ones are you fulfilling? Which ones are you aren't? How many times have you been romantic to Pam the last two weeks? How many times? And he'll look at me and say, Chuck, how many times have you shared your faith? Because if you are expecting me to go share my faith, I want to know you're doing it. He challenges me. I love this guy. He's a blast to be around. And you know what is, is we need people like that in our lives. And we need to be able to have fun together. I've got to have someone you just go out and have a blast with, you know, and whether it's golf or paintball. And by the way, I, I found out of an incredible paintball place. I'd love for us to all go, maybe either uh, probably next spring. It's an old Girl Scout camp, and we can just go blow it up together. And I think that'd be a fun thing for us to do. You know, the warrior side comes out. And, uh, but you know what? It's, it's having fun. The face is seen in Scripture. In Proverbs 17, 17, when it says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, and a brother, a brother's born for those moments of adversity. Proverbs 27, 17 says, and I love this, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. But we gotta be close, and we gotta be willing to bump into each other and talk and share and get real. 
Now, if you are in your book, you see that there's a, 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 a kind of a, a target looking thing, you know, perpendicular lines. And, and I want to have you grab this because this is so good. It says that all too often, these honorable faces of manhood are replaced by ugly caricatures. That's the fill-in, ugly caricatures. Rather than being the king, the warrior, the lover, the friend we're supposed to be, we take on a, a, a perversion of that and it ruins it. That the balance is so important and we've got to have that right balance. If you look up at the top, you ready for this? It says that the king, the king is awesome when we're the noble king we're supposed to be. But it's horrible when we get out of balance one way or the other. And so on mine, I have the left side I wrote out. It's horrible when I become the abdicator. I abdicate my role in being the king, the noble person I'm supposed to be. And I become the passive male. And, and I, I just kind of sit back and I let everybody else step up. And I let everybody else have convictions. And I kind of go, oh, okay, good. But I want to make sure everybody else applauds or I don't applaud. And I've abdicated that role. And by the way, if I'm not the father, the king type father I should be, or the husband I should be, and I've abdicated, I'm out of balance. And by the way, when you're out of balance, let me say this word as clearly as I can, you're in sin. Because you're not the person God made you to be, and that's sin. You're missing the mark. It's out of balance when I'm on the other side, and I'm the tyrant. If I'm a dictator in my home, if I strike fear in my children, if I strike fear in my wife, if I, by the way, ready for this, if, if I do abusive fear to my staff here at this church, then, then I'm not the person I should be. So I can't abdicate my responsibility, but I can't be tyrannical either, and I can't be abusive or mean-spirited. I just did a father-son retreat and I watched some amazing moments where dads and so I just did it Friday and Saturdays where I was. And I'm watching this and I'm so amazed until I saw something and oh, my stomach churned. Young boy. And he did get a little out of hand. And I was watching his dad go over and I was waiting for him to, you know, bring him in line correct. And all of a sudden this dad just destroyed this kid. Now I'm not saying physically. But the kid was humiliated because he saw him, I saw and some others saw. And I see him crumbling before the dad. And the dad, I thought, what is wrong? Why would you do that? You're not made to be a tyrant in this life. You know the limit to take. You, a man should. You don't just destroy somebody. And uh, we get out of balance with this part of our life. If you have any kind of authority in your life, you've got to, by the way, you should read over and over in Proverbs what it says a king is to be or not be. And that's the way you handle authority in your area of your world. And all of us are called at some point to take leadership. We need to do it with the right activity. So don't get out of balance being the king. How about this? Go down to the warrior. The warrior's right when he's ready to fight for right and stand in the right moment. But he's out of balance when on the one hand he becomes the wimp. Uh, uh, you know, I, and I want to say that, you know, we're, we're made to stand. And by the way, if you've allowed yourself to be because of family problems in your past or, or not being led correctly or taught correctly, and you've been pushed into this, we're going to talk to you about how to let God take you out of it. But when someone becomes the wimp and they cower and they can't take the correct kind of stance, then that's not a good thing. And, and when we see that kind of passivity there and we see the wife ruling the home and, and we see the, the person struck down constantly in their place and realm of business and we see them demeaned over and over again and they can't take a stand in, in settings that might have a little bit of conflict well you know that's not a good thing because we want to stand correctly and the warrior's got to be ready to do that and we're out of balance when we become the wimp and we're out of balance when we become the destroyer you know when you're just wreaking havoc on everybody that's not a good thing uh, uh, we can't be over here just literally attacking and, 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 and doing abrasive things and mean-spirited things. And we become out of balance when we're not standing only in the right time and only in the right way. And, and we just take it. We're just going to destroy everybody. And that's wrong. And, and again, that's sin. Let's go over to the, the left side. Actually, on mine, it's the lover side. We want to be that lover that we're supposed to be. But we're out of balance when we become cold. Uh, uh, when we, we withdraw affection. Well, let me say this, and, and we're going to have to get into this more later, on purpose, by the way, not, not on accident. But I, I found a lot of men that withhold affection from their wife and their children, from their friends. But I want to talk about more wife and children. So you have this woman who's dying for anybody to actually show her the affection that would feed the depths of her soul, and the guy just doesn't, for some reason, want to do it anymore. I can't tell you the number of kids when I was a youth pastor who said to me, I don't know what it's like for my dad to hug me. I don't know what it's like. I talked to a man who was 73 years old and he said, Chuck, I don't think there was a moment in my life that I can ever remember where I heard the words, I love you 
or I was hugged or cared for. He said, I determined my sons and my grandchildren would always have. But he said, I want to tell you, to this day, it kills me. Because he was raised in such a cold environment, it it was just missing. You were made for the proper forms of affection, and you were made to give them and receive them. And you know what? We can't be that way. And when we're cold, uh, it's it's an out-of-balance thing. Now, you ready for this? We're out-of-balance, though, when we're critical. We're out of balance when we're always picking. You know, why couldn't you do that better? Why couldn't you do this better? You know what? You should try harder. What's wrong with you? Hey, you know what? Uh, I'm glad you took a shot at that, but you could, and, and all of a sudden this critiquing nature comes, and, and you know, we act like we're doing it because we're loving, but we're out of balance there. That, that's not the lover mentality. The lover mentality knows that right place, that, that centered moment, and we know how to be tender in, in the right way. We know how to care in the right way without being critical and harsh or cold. Now, now, on the friend side, on the friend side, we're out of balance when we're the loner. God didn't make you to be a loner. Matter of fact, it's very clear he doesn't want you to be. And Proverbs 18 verse 1 says, a foolish man isolates himself and he rages against all sound wisdom. That's why it's, sometimes it's a little uncomfortable to throw yourself in a social setting and get to know people, but do it anyway. And the best way to, to do it is to, to go ahead and try. And if you fail, try again. If you fail, try again. Don't give up on it. But don't be a loner. Don't isolate yourself. And by the way, I want to say this. A lot of guys, what they do is they marry somebody and then they say it's just her and I and nobody else. And they live their lives in isolation, just those two. And you go, oh, that's all I need. No, it isn't. By the way, your wife needs more. You need more. And, and we don't want to be loners. We're made to love and, and, and have relationships that are incredible. And we're made to be friends. And we're out of balance, by the way, when we're the user. When, when we're using everybody. Where, you know, rather than a healthy friendship, we, we always ask, what am I going to get? Am I getting attention? Am I getting this from them? Are they noticing me? Are we doing what I want to do? As a matter of fact, a, a Proverbs that I, I love, Proverbs 30 verse 15 says, The leech has two sisters that say, give, give. So you don't want to be the leech with twin sisters, okay? It, God, God wants you to be somebody in balance, and so you need to have that. And we need to have it in the right ways. So here's the point as we get ready to kind of come down to the ending of this. Uh, uh, because of our morally compromised culture, many men lack a king. That's the word there if you want the fill-in. Many men lack a king. Because of our morally compromised culture, because we don't know what righteousness is and we don't know what conviction is, there's a lack of being a king inside because that's attack. And when you have conviction, it's not always going to be welcomed. Without a king is the fill-in, the warrior becomes unrestrained, hurting lives, including his own in the process. That's why too many men turn to robbing others of their joy. They turn to pillaging and attacking and wreaking havoc. They turn to fornication and adultery, and it hurts things in horrible ways. And you know what? We have out of, men out of control in so many areas. Someone said to me last week, they said, it just blew me away to think 94% of all drunk drivers are men. If we could just get men to be men, we, wouldn't have, we could wipe out that whole problem. Uh, abuse, rape, all those things, because there's no king, there's no nobility, there's no righteousness. Uh, the next thing is, our increasingly feminized culture has emasculated the warrior so, and so many young men. This idea of rising up as a warrior is looked down upon and, and it's act like we're chauvinistic and, and we're not men who are meant to be. And that's not accurate. It says the result has been the creation of a soft male, and that's it, that's indecisive as to direction and weak as to leadership. Now the fill-in is a soft male and they're indecisive and they're weak in leadership. You know, I said it last week, we see so many women as warriors today. And, 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 you know, that's not the role that they're meant to play. We're the ones who are meant to play that role. It's God-given. So usually the spirit of the warrior is called out by who? An older man. We're missing older men who are strong to stand and pass this on. And, and one of the things we need to learn is that's part of what we do. You know, that when the older guy stands there, the one who's fought the battle, the one who's toughed it out, and he calls younger guys up, that's, that's an amazing moment to see. So possibly to be strong looking on the outside, it's possible to be strong looking on the outside and still to be feminized on the inside. Now, you need to grab hold of that line. It comes from Robert Lewis, but I thought when I read it, it's too true. You know, it's, uh, we can put on the exterior. The question is, inside, are we the same as we're trying to portray ourselves to be? Are we really, truly the men God wants us to be? Are we feminized constantly on the inside? And, and that doesn't mean you shouldn't have feelings. Remember, the lover side of you does. It doesn't mean you don't have affectionate friendships. The, lo- the friendship side of you does. But there shouldn't be this missing. So, 
When it's time for action, what happens to men like that? They vacillate. They become indecisive and passive. It's the last thing God wants for us to be. Now, our world is desperate for the four-faced balance of real manhood. And the key is balance there, but we need all four to be there. David was that real man. God said he was. God said about David in Acts 13, 22, after he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse. Now catch this, a man after my heart who will do my will. A man after my heart who will do my will. David was a king, and he was the king like we want to be. David was the friend with Jonathan like we want to be. David was the warrior who took on Goliath, and David was the lover. And got a little out of balance on that one, but at right time, uh, uh, he was. And the reality is, is God wants us to be that. That's God's great desire. I'm reading that book. It's called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. I'd recommend that book in a second, especially here. But if I were to ask who is really the man's man, is it David? I'd say yes. But without a doubt, the man's man is Jesus. And I want to hear, I want you to listen to what Mark Batterson said about Jesus, because I thought this is so true, especially with what we talked about. He says, what we need is a little Christ-like courage to chase lions. Jesus never ran away from anyone or anything. He wasn't afraid of walking into the temple when he knew the Pharisees had a plot on his life. He wasn't afraid of the lunatic with a legion of demons inside him. And when a lynch mob came to arrest him, what did Jesus do? He didn't run and hide. He said he, ste- he stepped forward and he identified himself. Jesus never ran away from his detractors or persecutors. He chased them. Even when, the face, uh, even when his life was on the line, Jesus refused to defend himself before judicial, judicial authorities. Now I want you to think about this because I think that Bat- Batterson's so right. When he stood in front of Pontius Pilate, when he stood in front of the Pharisees and he stayed silent, why did he do it? Was he cowering? Was he afraid? I think we all agree, no. But this was manhood in action. He refused to defend himself. Why? Here's what Batterson said. I'm convinced that he could have and he would have talked his way out of the cross. Why? Jesus never, ever lost an argument. So he chose instead to close his mouth so he could go to the cross. You think about that. Jesus never lost an argument. When he stood in front of Pilate, when he stood in front of the Pharisees, and he, if he had taken them on, he would have beat them mentally. But he didn't do it because there was a cross out there and there was a scourging out there. And, and he was ready to go to that and go to it with passion and stand and they would pull his beard and beat him and they would rack his body in amazing ways. And he did it all for you and for me. He never ran from it. He didn't flinch from it. Did, did he at one time cry out to God and go, is this what I have to do? He says, but you know what? If it is, if it's your will, then your will be done. Because you matter to him too much. And the greatest man who ever lived, Jesus Christ, never flinched from what he was supposed to do and be. Now tonight you might ask, okay, am I a warrior? Am I the king? Am I the friend? Am I the lover? Here's the answer. We all need to be all four of those in balance, but you can only do that when you're in contact with Jesus Christ. If you're mentally and emotionally fit, but you're spiritually off course, it just tilts you out of balance. Without Jesus' empowerment, without the Holy Spirit inside you, a spirit that's not a spirit of fear, but a spirit that's a power and love and self-control indwelling you, without that, you can never be who you need to be. So tonight, I want to ask you this. Do you really know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the Holy Spirit is inside you, and you're in connection with the Lord, and you're getting to know Jesus better and better, and as you behold him, he's transforming you into this kind of man he wants you to be? And if not, it all begins with you asking him, saying, I want this, Lord. Help me. Take me. I want this. If you've never come into an intimate relationship with Jesus, tonight you could just by praying that prayer and saying, I want it. So we're going to pray in a moment, and then amidst this time, I'm going to give you an opportunity, if you choose to, to, to say to Jesus, and do this with me. I'll pray a line and let you pray it with me right where you're sitting. You say to him, Lord, I, I, I want to have this life with you. I want to be forgiven of sin. The times I haven't been the man I should be, I want that literally wiped away from me so I can start over. 
and I want to rise up and be who you made me to be. And you get a chance to say that to him tonight. And if you say it and mean it, he's going to take you. He's going to renew you. He's going to indwell you with the spirit. He's going to change you. And the change begins in amazing ways. If you say, well, I used to be that way, but Chuck, I veered off on this course or that course, or I've done this or that. Jesus still loves you. And what you need is his love to pour back inside in an amazing way. So I'll ask you to recommit tonight. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would come in this room. Father, we want, we want desperately all to be the men you made us to be and to stand the way you made us to stand and to love the way you've made us to love and have friendships with great depth. And I ask right now, Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit move. And, and I know my weaknesses as I've stood and looked at this and, and Lord, I just pray that I would be honest about them before you and you would help me. And I know other men in here, Lord, that they, they, if they got honest, there's some things they look at and it's time, it's time for them to let go of the pain, the failures. It's time for them to, to let you come and help them rise up to be the men they should be. And I ask that your Holy Spirit move and touch and fill. And God, tonight, I pray there'll be some men here who will commit their life to you and some who will recommit. And on this moment, they're gonna say, this is their day. They're taking their stand with you and they're letting you guide them. They're letting you empower them. And I pray right now they'd want that. I want to ask that we keep praying. And if you're right with God, if you're a man of God here tonight, would you pray for those who need to pray this prayer? But I'm going to lead this prayer in a moment where you can commit your life to Christ or recommit. But I'm going to ask tonight, if you're ready to pray this prayer with me, right where you're sitting, would you let me know you're going to do it by lifting your hand in the air? If you want to commit your life to the Lord or recommit, tonight's your night to do it. Just lift your hand where I can see you so I can know who God's touching. And calling. Praise God for you and for you right here. Right here. That's awesome. Wow. Praise the Lord. Let me take a second more. Up here. Praise God, man. That's awesome. And over here. Praise God for you. Wow. And right over here. Praise the Lord for you on the, on the side. Man, praise God. And praise the Lord for you too, man. That is awesome. Wow. Each one of you, God loves you. He cares about you as a plan. Let me take a second more. Anybody else I haven't seen yet? If you're ready to pray this prayer, just lift your hand where I can see if I haven't seen you yet. Okay, all of you that God's touching, let's just whisper this prayer together. Say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins to cleanse me completely, to make me new, to make me alive, and to make me yours. And I want that. So I open my heart to you, and I ask that you fill me with your love, fill me with your spirit, and help me be who you have always created me to be, and help me live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray, Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, praise God for each of you guys that prayed that prayer tonight. Man, praise the Lord. Tonight, if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask that uh, when we stand to sing, if you prayed that prayer, that you step out no matter where you are and come around. Let me meet you right here. And I'm going to ask you to head in the side room over here. And we want to have some guys sit down with you. We want to give you a Bible if you need one. But we also, no matter what, want to give you some other things to give you a step-by-step process so you can intentionally walk out of here and know what to do to grow even closer to God. We also want to find out who you are so we can pray for you every day this week. But I want to tell you the biggest reason I want to ask you to come. We're going to ask you to come because when you step out, something happens. It, it really is. You're taking the step saying, God, this is it. I'm ready to do it. And he deepens your commitment. He connects with you in a deeper way. So tonight, if you prayed that prayer and we stand to sing, we're going to ask that you come. Also, if you want to be baptized into Christ by your choice in a conscious worship experience with him. I also want to ask you to come right now and we'll set a time to do that. Let's stand together. If you prayed that prayer, if you said that to the Lord, please step out right now and come. And I I'm desperate for you And I
Hey, let's praise God for all those that came tonight. Man, what a praise. What a praise. Go ahead and be seated just for a second. If you prayed and you think, man, I wished I would have come during this time, you can feel free to slip into this room. We want to talk with you and meet you. But what we're going to do right now is this, was that we're going to take communion together. And the way we're going to do it is just like last week. I'm going to ask you to come up and grab communion and then get in groups. And try tonight, try to get in groups of no more than seven. Last week we had groups of like 25. Try to get in groups of seven or less, three to seven. And, and then what we want to ask you to do is at the end of the book, there's two questions to ask. And it's this, uh, which of the four faces of manhood can you most identify with and why? Which, which one of the four? You go, man, that, that's me. That's the one I can grab hold of. And which one of the faces do you think you need to grow in the most? So we want you to take communion, to sit together, and just answer that question with each other. Say, if you don't know each other's names, say, hey, let's just share your name real quick. What one do you most think defines you? Which one could you use help with the most? Then here's what we're going to say. Once your group is done, and, and if you want to pray together, you can, then, then be respectful of other groups. Go ahead and slip out, and, and a bunch of us are going to be out in the lobby anyway. And so it's basically, you take communion, you get in groups and share, and then when we're done, you know, you just go ahead and feel free to leave. But let's pray for communion now. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to celebrate, Jesus, who you are, the power of the life with which you lived, the way you died for us, but the way you rose again. And we remember that, and we hold in our hands tonight the emblems that remind us of your body and your blood. And may we, Lord, be in constant communion with you. And I pray you'd bless the discussion time we're about to have. In Jesus' name, amen.